Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi, welcoming you to this episode of the Deep South Dharma podcast. This week, we're sharing the talk from last Saturday's Oxford Practice Group and hope that you enjoy it. It's called Shoring Up Our Foundations in reference to the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. A couple of reminders right quick. One is that if you have interest in the webinar or interest in sharing about the webinar called Time to Breathe When Your Loved One is in Treatment, that information is in the podcast intro. Um, and people can register for that and attend live on March the 1st, um, or they'll be able to still purchase it um, or view it on demand. So somebody can register, and if for some reason they missed the live um, webinar, they can still get questions answered. I mean, they can still um, view it later. The one drawback to doing it that way is that you miss the opportunity to um, get questions answered live. The other thing I want to remind you about is that we have our retreat at uh, hosted by Flowering Lotus Meditation in Starkville, Mississippi, coming up March 20th through 22nd. So please get your registration in for that. Um, we're only limited uh, in terms of uh, sleeping there overnight with us at the Homestead Education Center in Starkville. We're limited to 22 people able to, to sleep on the grounds, um, but there are campsite places or hotels, other things in town, so it's not that you can't come, but if you want to be with us round the clock, um, you'll want to go ahead and get those registrations in. So those are the only announcements I'm going to make this time. And uh, I hope that this talk gives you some support in shoring up your foundations. So I'm, ta- I'm calling the tar- talk today, Shoring, Shoring Up Our Foundations. Um, and um, when we talk about the four foundations of mindfulness, um, the, Mo- the Buddha made really extraordinary claims <laughs> about that. You know, he would talk about that the four foundations of mindfulness brought an end to suffering, grief, sorrow, I mean, just all kinds of um, and sometimes um, we can get the impression that mindfulness is just about the breath, just about the body, just about, but part of the, um, the, the way that he laid out those foundations was to help us use the body to bring ourselves here. Right? That's, that's the, the first foundation. And it's not like oh, that's the first one, so that's elementary. You know, like, oh, that's elementary. Once you master that, then you won't have to go back to that. It's like, no, it's where we have to start and go back to always, 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 um, using that as our uh, beginning point um, and the point, the place that we work from. 
the, the mind is, uh, works so much faster than the body, and so we can't uh, get a good perspective on what the mind is doing, how it's creating our suffering um, in just in this disembodied fashion. And so by coming home to the body again and again, we do sort of, uh, we slow things down so that our attention starts to really be able to take in what the mind is doing. It's a little bit like, I heard in a talk once that, <laughs> that, and I, I don't remember what the numbers are, but you know, when we see, we see so many frames a second. Well, the bird that is on the road in front of you as you're driving your car, the bird sees many more frames a second, like lots, lots more. So that is why when you're driving along and you think, is this bird gonna fly out of the way? Because in your view, it's happening very fast that you're coming up. From the bird's view, it's like, oh, I got all the time in the world. I'll eat one more thing, you know? And because, because from the bird's point of view, he, he has much more time to see. And so part of what we're doing is deliberately slowing down so that we are getting, so to speak, more frames per second. We're slowing down enough to see more of what's going on. And so the first thing that becomes um, apparent to us, um, and, this can, and this second foundation of um, mindfulness of feeling or feeling tone, um, sometimes it's translated as mindfulness of emotions, but emotions are really mind objects. We're just talking about like, how does it feel to be in my body right now? That general sense. And that is often um, the first place that if we are out of touch with our bodies, sometimes the first place we, we start to recognize we're suffering is we start realizing, oh, I'm just, I'm feeling kind of blah, or I'm, or I'm really irritable, or I'm really, and that, that can draw our attention to the body. So it's not always like they're in a certain order, but it's just that those two are the ones that are typically easiest for us to access um, if, if, we're, if we're open to it. And so with feeling tone, we're talking in broad terms, pleasant, unpleasant, and then the one we're usually not aware of is neutral. And it's really valuable in our practice uh, sometimes to just make a day of notice catching as much neutral feeling tone as we can because actually a humongous percentage the vast majority of our experience is neutral and but what catches our attention is either the really pleasant or the really unpleasant and so we kind of have this disjointed feeling and, and, and things feel um, sort of dissatisfactory and unstable and all of that but when when we allow ourselves to have more connection with neutral feeling tone, what we start to notice is, oh, this is nice. It's not, uh, the Buddha used to teach that neutral feeling tone encountered mindfully, mindfully became pleasant feeling tone. It becomes pleasant when we notice like, oh, isn't this nice? Like nothing's really wrong right this second, you know? Um, nothing terribly exciting is going on, but like, is it just isn't this nice? So when we can be aware of neutral, it becomes very pleasant. When we encounter neutral experience of whatever type, unmindfully, we often experience it as boredom or emptiness, not in the sunyata Buddhist form of emptiness, but empty as in uh, blah, unhappy, meaningless. And so 
it's really valuable to uh, deliberately increase our awareness of neutral feeling tone because that can sort of become sort of the, the glue that, that uh, seems to hold our life together becomes even more pleasant. Um, just that feeling of like the pleasant feeling of just walking in your socks across the floor to go get your cup of coffee. Or, and, it, and one of the things that starts to develop is um, a little bit less of a need for noise, a little bit less of a need to, you know, I mean, look, anybody who talks to me for five minutes knows I have my favorite podcast I listen to, I love music, that kind of thing. But it becomes more often that, you know, I don't have to turn on noise in the car every time I get in. I don't have to have, to, you know, uh, noise going on in the house. Um, and so what's valuable about that actually is that when we're able to be with neutral feeling tone directly, we also are not opening ourselves up to, um, to other influences of, of mind that can really cause us to suffer, whether that's through commercial things or through upsetting news or whatever. Um, so, so the feeling tone is our second foundation. The, classically, the way it's taught is that our third foundation becomes mindfulness of mind. So there's this, you know, I kind of landed, I find my body, I notice kind of the flavor of what's the mood right now, and then that recognition, um, and maybe it doesn't happen every time we sit, but over time of practice, we start becoming more and more aware of what is the mind I'm sitting with we start to become less fused with the feelings we're having and realizing, oh, these feelings are being heavily colored by the mind, uh, the mind, the state of the mind I'm sitting with, which can be different today than yesterday. It could be different today, you know, right now than five minutes ago. So it's, it changes a lot, but recognizing, oh, there is this mind and it's not me. Um, so when I can notice different experiences, um, recognizing, okay, this mind um, and the things that cloud the mind, that filter my perceptions in such a way or filter my experiences in such a way that all I see are the problems or all I see are um, the things that I wish were different or we start to see that, that like, oh, it's not reality really that's my problem, it's this, this filter that I'm working with. I was listening to um, a Dharma talk uh, a few weeks ago, this Ajahn uh, Achalo, Achalo, I think it is, that has some talks on Insight Timer, and uh, I've listened to it a few times. It's a lovely talk about recognizing your human potential. And one of the things he talks about is um, how if we, if, we get, if we get a skewed view of reality, say for instance, if all we do is watch the news or all we do is, not to say that those aren't good things to do, but if that's all we do, um, we get a very skewed view of the world because what makes news, what sells things, even what we're learning today about how social media work, what sells is outrage. What sells is, oh my God, look at that, you know. And so, and he, he said, you know, no, 
you know, he said it's, nobody does a news story about, you know, this woman right here got up three times in the middle of the night to feed her baby from her own body. <laughs> and she was exhausted, but she did it anyway. And every time this baby gets upset, she picks him up to soothe him. And every time, you know, and his point being, like, that is going on, even, um, even imperfectly, but just knowing that is going on all over the world all the time. And, you know, usually every news program or magazine or newspaper we pick up has some, you know, ha has some uh, feature that's meant to be uh, hopeful or lighthearted, some little sometimes called fluff pieces. But that's just sort of thrown in almost like, you know, a little mint after, you know, as if like the real meal is all the bad news. And then you have this little after dinner mint, you know, of, oh, here's something cute, you know, somebody's cat pictures or whatever. But, <laughs> but the recognition that in real life, most people are doing their best not to cause harm. Now, uh, their best may not be great. I mean, we can, we can acknowledge that, right? <laughs> but, but they, you know, they might be kind of like a bull in a china shop causing lots of harm, but the intent to harm is not there. Um, and that most people out there will not intentionally seek to harm you. Most people out there um, are trying to um, take care of their children and other people the best way they know how. And so just recognizing that is reality also. In the, um, in the um, chanting that's done in the Typharis tradition, one of, the, one of the lines that I love so much is um, that boundless is the protection of the Dhamma. The Buddha is my excellent refuge unsurpassed, that's what it is, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. Um, and so I don't take this to mean, now I may later, my understanding may grow in a different way and I may feel this way later, I don't take this to mean that the Dhamma, the Dharma has some magical quality that if we're practicing the Dharma that we are magically protected from harm. I think what he's saying is when we, the more and more that we can be in reality, we we do, first of all, if we're not running around causing harm, we're also receiving less harm. Uh, we're not causing harm for ourselves or others. But also in our own state of mind, when we're more aware of the reality that most people out there are trying to be kind. Most people, um, and, and yes, this, the, a lot of what turns the wheels of this world is greed, hatred, and delusion. And most people are trying to find a way out from under that and a way to bring, to counter that with love and care. And that is, that really can protect our state of mind. That is where that unsurpassed protection comes, is you know, when we have our sort of knee-jerk fears of you know, walking after dark or whatever it might be, to recognize actually most people are not out to harm. Um, and so that can, can help protect us in terms of protecting us from unnecessary suffering in our own minds. And that fourth foundation is, as the more that we become aware we have a mind, then we become aware of, oh, and this mind is feeding me its beliefs, right? So the mind's beliefs are what are referred to as objects of mind. Um, and we can speak in broad terms of beliefs, but they might, whether it's 
attitudes toward oneself or other people, attitudes about what we believe men are like, what we believe women are like, what we believe rich people are like, or poor people are like, or uh, black people or white people, all kinds of attitudes and beliefs about what we think the world is like um, and what we think we are, what our relationship is to them. Um, you know, even we can learn to be aware of those mind objects and to work with them skillfully. So I used to say to people, and this was, this was true, uh, that <laughs> there was a period of my life when I was in grad school and all that sort of stuff, and I told a friend of mine, you know, I have learned that if I've gotten less than five hours of sleep, which happened frequently during that period of time, if I've gotten less than five hours of sleep, I don't even, that's not the time for me to sit down and look at money stuff, to sit down and pay bills or anything like that because I would just become so fearful around money if I had less, that was, it's, you know, I, I learned kind of through trial and error, five hours of sleep seemed to be my cutoff point, you know. Um, and money was just one example, you know. It also probably was, you know, not a great time to have relationship conversations or, you know, things like that. But we all kind of have to learn for ourselves certain things. How much sleep does this mind need to be reasonable? How, you know, when can I, when is this mind most workable? Or when am I most able to not get fused with my mind and believe it? You know, by being, by fused, what I mean is taking what my mind is saying as the ultimate truth not recognizing, oh, my mind is this intermediary between me and the truth. And if I, if I get fused with my mind, I think all that stuff it's saying is just, I think it's my, I think it's, oh, that's what I really know. Um, and so just being unfused from that to see what is going on in here. Um, and so, so a lot of times in what, in, in, in um, particular, you know, I can't speak to other cultures, but in Western culture for sure, we, we often stop with the first two foundations. And we tend to leave the third and fourth foundations to the world of like therapy and support groups and things like that. And to realize it can be confusing, in fact, when you first come into um, Dharma circles, when you've been working on yourself for a while and you sort of don't, you know, it's sort of like, well, where's the room to talk about this stuff? Because, because sometimes that third and fourth foundation aren't discussed as much. Um, and, and that is where it is. That is where people can get it. And that's where people can realize, oh, I actually, maybe even long before I found Buddhism, I've actually been, um, I've actually been working on this path, you know, using other words perhaps, using other language, in whatever ways I could, all, you know, like I have done some work in the, fourth foundation, third foundation, I have, you know, but it's been maybe very incomplete or maybe choppy because Buddhism gives us this larger frame for seeing what's going on. It's like not just, oh, not just the suffering of this particular relationship with this particular family member or anything like that, but Buddhism gives us this larger frame. Um, and to be able to see everything that's going on, we have to start with finding our bodies, bringing ourselves right here establishing our sense of self right here, right now, so that we're not easily carried away by all the places the mind can go. Let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.